Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Thanks, Fred. Well, um, uh, almost a bit over a year ago, um, I um, I wrote my first book um, called um, Fascinated by Heaven on Earth. Um, And uh, it's a really interesting um, story about um, how it happened. I'm not going to go through it now, but uh, uh, a lot of had given me a prophetic word about, um, at that time, about 12 years ago, about writing a book, and I tried to write it, and I tried to write it, and I tried to write it, and it just wasn't happening. Um, you know, so, I mean, how many know that you can get a, a word from the Lord, and, but then there's such a thing as timing? <laughs> and uh, there came a time um, when it was time to write this book, and it was in the timing of God. I got frustrated that I couldn't write it, and uh, but I never lost sight of the promise that God had called me to be a writer, and to and to and to write um, this uh, as my first book, um, and um, and so actually um, I, I wrote this in a week. It's got many years of work beforehand, and it actually took a whole lot more work to put it in a book form. Uh, but really wrote it in a week. It was just flowed. I spent hours and just day and night just writing um, and uh, it flowed because it was in the timing of God. Um, so so don't lose the sight of the promises that God has given to you um, because it can happen suddenly and this was a suddenly. Um, and, and just don't get frustrated. Like, like, like Fred just said, don't go weary in doing good for in due season, in due season, in due season it's going to happen. So they're available, um, $15. Out the back, I'll be out there. And uh, I'll even autograph them at no extra charge. Um, I actually think they make a good Christmas present. Um, um, I'm, I'm serious. It's a, it is a really good book. Just Not only just because I wrote it, but it's a good book. So you get to hear me for about an hour, but you can get my book and hear me for days, weeks, months. <laughs> um. You might be wondering what I'm doing in Wyoming. That's a good question. Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> um, I, I've, uh, I've been coming to, to Wyoming now for uh, a few years. Um, I, I originally came because uh, a, a couple, uh, some very good dear friends of mine now, Tony and Gwinnett Portera in Labarge, asked me to come. And uh, when, I, when I went there to this little town of uh, 460 people in, 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 uh, in Labarge, a couple of hours out of um, Jackson Hole, I wondered what I had getting, gotten myself into. Uh, it looked like I'd landed on the moon. Um, but it's become uh, a great place. And, uh, and God loves to, to confound our our own thinking at times and do things that we just wouldn't think of. So we've just come from a conference last week and I must say that in this conference at Labarge, um, I've, I, have, I've, I, doubt, I don't think it's, or it's been a long time since I have felt um, the presence of God in such a manifest um, 
intensity. And uh, we were seeing people um, instantly healed of, of all sorts of things. Um, and people, uh, many, many people on the floor that couldn't get up and were on the floor for quite a long time. I mean, you can tell that that's God doing something. Um, uh, so, um, uh, so, so what happened was, I was coming to, uh, to Wyoming, and uh, I happened to be away on Mother's Day a couple of times, and um, so uh, my wife wasn't all that happy about that, um, because it meant that she had to go and also, um, you know, spend some time with my mother on uh, Mother's Day. So I made her a promise, and the promise was um, that um, I would bring her to, uh, to the U.S., and we would go to Yellowstone around about Mother's Day and, and spend some time um, in Yellowstone National Park, because she just loves the mountains and the wilderness. She's, she, she would, she'd be able to live here easily. Um, uh, me, on the other hand, I'm a city slicker. <laughs> I like the cities. Um, and so uh, we went to uh, Yellowstone and uh, we were with our friends and we went to, uh, th- on this particular time, there's still a lot of snow and ice and um, all around. And uh, uh, we went to um, the, the Grand Canyon at Yellowstone. And as we stepped out and uh, looked at all of this frozen water and uh, snow all around about us, we all started to pray uh, over that place and over Wyoming and started then to make some declarations over Wyoming uh, from that particular place. And something happened. Something happened to me, which is often what happens when you start praying for places and people. Uh, something more often happens to you. And so something happened to me, and what happened to me was that, was that I, I, Wyoming got s- further stuck in my heart in that I just can't stay away for long. And, um, and I, I believe that God wants to use my gifting to do something here. There's someone from, a, from a, another hemisphere from thousands of miles away um, in, in a place where uh, I've become, I, I, I like being in Wyoming, but it's not natural for me. Like I was just with some cowboys <laughs> just last week. And uh, I've seen some amazing impact in, into their lives. Uh, it's just been some transformation on these cowboys. I don't speak their language. I mean, they talk about roping bears. They talk about horses. They talk about, you know, being so hungry when they're out somewhere, they find a, a porcupine and, and cook it. One of them was talking about eating it raw. It's just like, what? So it's, it's really challenging, but at the same time, uh, it's, a, it's amazingly profound, that, that, and it just sounds like God. Um, a friend of mine in Labaj um, has this wonderful gift um, uh, that the prophetic gift on her life works in such a way that she writes love letters, prophetic love letters from God to people, and that when she reads these, uh, nearly every time, people just break down crying um, because they, they, are, they, are, they are a letter from God to that person. Just time and time and time again. It happens all the time. Well, she, she's just written one for Wyoming. So I want to read it to you this morning. You ready? My dear Wyoming, 
from the beginning, you have been known as a harsh and hard place to live, as a place with no godly roots. You've had to fight for your very existence, and it's made you independent, fiercely strong, courageous and tenacious, but also lonely and feeling shut off from the rest of the nation. I want you to know that your fight has not been in vain. I have been keeping you, your vast resources, and your ferocious courage a secret. You are my secret weapon, Wyoming. Your tenacity to worship me, to spread my fire, and to network in the harshest of environments have been recorded in heaven. You now have godly roots. You have established my kingdom in your midst. Truly, Wyoming worships Jesus. Your praise, thanksgiving, intercession, and worship have allowed me to do a work that seemed impossible, seemingly even too big for me. My reminder to you is that with man, this is impossible, but with me, nothing is impossible. Have you not watched me change the physical landscape recently? Have you not seen my glory fall as you've pressed in to bring honor to my name? Have you not felt my visitation every time your warriors and worshipers have gathered, seeking my face? Have you not seen sudden breakthroughs in areas previously thought too harsh or too small or too sinful? Yes, with me, nothing is impossible. Today I say to you that your loneliness and feelings of separation are over. You, Wyoming, are a leader of this great nation. I'm calling you to establish my righteousness, purity of heart, and my undying passion for my presence that will blaze a trail for the rest of the nation to come back into line with my kingdom, my principles, and my heart. I'm calling you, Wyoming, to lead this nation back to me. Remember who you are in me. Be of good courage, for I am with you, guiding and directing you to accomplish this great calling. That's good, isn't it? You know, um, it's one of the things that I, I want to just spend a little, just a few moments just I'm saying to you, it's something that uh, I've been declaring for a while now. Um, there is there's something contained in Wyoming um, that is like that. She's declared they're a secret weapon. There is something that God wants to do out of Wyoming that's going to impact the nation. Um, there is something that he's getting rid of. I believe that there are significant resources that are contained um, in Wyoming um, that are going to be used for the kingdom. You know, um, you know, people say to me uh, in this country, why are you spending so much time in Wyoming? Why would you want to go there? You know, like there's more cows than people. There's more cattle than people, you know. It's, 
It's, it's probably true. Um, and and it's, it's, it's almost like what they said about Jesus. You know, what good could come out of Nazareth? You know, and, and my observation is that, um, you know, God, uh, God uses what people will call foolish to confound the wise. Uh, it's the same in my state, the state that I come from. We have, you know, almost about the same amount of people as you. Um, and uh, the rest of the country makes fun of us. Um, has all sorts of things to say, but since I since I've known from the 1960s, there's been prophetic words about uh, our state um, being a, a place where the fire was going to come out and go right up the east coast of Australia and right into uh, Southeast Asia, and it's going to happen. God, God loves to to surprise people. He loves to do things where people and do suddenly from out of places that people are least expecting. So, uh, hence this particular word. Um, while we were in worship um, this this morning, um, I, I saw something that I I feel this for you as a church. Um, I saw an ocean. And uh, I saw that the ocean, um, the tide had gone had gone out. Um, and um, I, I I saw that there was a was a turning, and the tide was coming back in again. Um, and I I just kept hearing the words, "The tide has turned." The tide has has turned. Um, and and I think I really felt like it was for for here, not just for. For the state, or you know, it could be that as well. But I really felt it was like for you here. Um, and uh, and one of the things that God often gets me to do uh, in places um, is to is to declare a, a new season, um, um, a, 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 just a new era, a new season. And um, it, it seems to really make quite a significant difference, um, you know, because there's a declaration that goes past, and it's one of the things. That um, I tend to do. So, is it okay? Can I do that? He said I could do anything. <laughs> I like to laugh a little bit too. So, it's a, so you got crazy Aussie here this morning. Anything could happen. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, <laughs> I want to declare over this community of people. Father God, even though they've had some sudden change, some change in venues, Lord, I want to declare over them and over this people, this people that you've gathered together, a new season, a season and era in time when things that they have looked at ways they've looked at things, the, the perspectives they've looked at things will change so that they will look at the same things. They'll hear the same things, but they'll hear something different. They'll hear something new. They'll hear something fresh. And so, Father, I take authority over any sense, any work of the enemy of weariness, 
spiritual weariness, weariness that would go to the bones, weariness that would go deep down. And Father, take authority over that right now in the name of Jesus. I break its power. I break its authority. I break its ability to be able to permeate anything in this place and in this people. And Father God, I I declare a new season and a new vitality a new season and a new vitality that fresh dreams, fresh dreams, fresh ideas, fresh Holy Ghost ideas would be released and would come into this place to take ground that the enemy has tried to keep you out of. And so, Father, today I speak over this group of people Father God, I tear right through the veil that would try and keep, um, Father God, them enclosed. I take authority over any shame. Right now, there shall arise within you a fresh vitality and a refreshing work of the Spirit that many of you will begin to have first love experiences again with, your, with, your, with Jesus, with your Father in heaven. First love, there will just all over the place be rising up these first love encounters and experiences with your Father, with Jesus. <laughs> and so, Father, I declare right over this place, ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand the things that you have prepared for this group of people. The things that are yet to come from heaven. The things that are yet to be released. The things that are yet to be brought into place. Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I just, um, I, I see an increase in creative ministries, uh, particularly in art, um, those sorts of um, things. And I also see um, an increase um, in um, inner healing type uh, things as, as, as well. Um, I really feel like um, you're going to be known uh, as a people uh, where the miraculous occurs. Um um, and, and not just in your meetings, but um, uh, outside of these meetings as well. <laughs> the atmosphere we live in shapes our lives. The invisible shapes the visible. The seen is a product of the unseen. And we live out the culture that we live in. The atmosphere that we create within ourselves is the life we will live, the thoughts that we will think, and the emotions we feel. We create our own atmosphere with the words we speak, the attitudes we hold, and the songs that we sing. We create our culture with the vision we have, the people we mix with, and the values that we live by. When I was uh, uh, growing up in... uh, um, primary school, or I think you'd call it elementary school. Um, 
we, uh, we would have uh, a weekly assembly, and in that uh, weekly assembly, we had to recite the Lord's Prayer. Um, I certainly don't think it happens now. Although in our country, uh, our federal parliament and our state parliaments uh, are all opened every sitting day uh, with the Lord's Prayer, which is, uh, which is great. There's a lot of other things that are not happening that, that are happening that are not righteous or godly, but at least that's still happening, and they've resisted, uh, particularly moves from the Greens to to stop that. But it really it sets the scene when you're acknowledging, you know, your atmosphere around about at God at, at work. So I want to take just the first part of this Lord's Prayer and just talk about it for a few moments um, this morning. It starts off with Our Father who is in heaven, Our Father. You know, it was, it was amazing at that time that Jesus gave this prayer that he's talking to some people who know God very distantly, who were so careful about um, speaking his name in vain that they would describe his nature rather than use his name. And here he is saying to them, this is God is your Father in heaven. And at the same time, um, he was bringing forth an understanding that if God is their Father in heaven, then they must be His children. And it was just a different concept for them. It was, a, it was a, 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 almost a crazy concept. And so here he starts with this prayer that we have to understand that God is our Father in heaven. And then he then went on to say, um, that we were to expect that his kingdom would come to this earth. And then he went even more and said that the will of God was that what happened in heaven would happen on earth. Heaven's meant to come to earth. We are meant to heavenize earth. We are meant to heavenize earth. The problem is the church has not understood that and earth has been hellized. I, I just made up that word, but <laughs> means that there's too much hell on earth. I mean, we all could say, yes, there's too much hell on earth, and yet the will of God is that what would happen in heaven, what happens in heaven, what happens in the realm of heaven, what happens in that place would come to earth. And so what has happened is that the church has not understood that and the church um, therefore um, has, has um, thought that heaven was a place that we got to visit when we die. I mean, I thought that for quite a, quite a long time. I realized how selfish that is. How selfish it is to have a mindset that heaven is in the future, that I will, when I die, then I will get to experience it, which is true, I will. And, and if I can just take my family and a few friends there, um, then that's good. Uh, meanwhile, we'll just live in hell. It's not what Jesus taught us to pray. The perfect theology of heaven coming to earth and so that we are learning how we bring heaven to earth and I think we understand some of it but there's a lot more that we would understand. 
just a... Um, when Jesus began his ministry, um, he said, repent for the kingdom is at hand or it's near, it's close by. Um, and, uh, and again, um, most of the church have, have understood repentance to be something like, you know, we'll, we'll have an altar call and, and people um, will come to the front uh, often uh, so moved and, and touched um, that crying and want to receive Christ and want to repent for their uh, previous ways. Or, or people will go to one another and say, I need to repent to you. I, I said this or did that or, or some, be, some behavior. And, uh, and that's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, at all? That's wonderful. That's great that that should happen, but that isn't repentance. That's the fruit of repentance. So repent means to change the way that you think. So Jesus began his ministry, and he began to say, listen, you will need to change the way that you think in order to experience the kingdom of heaven, which is at hand, which is close by. And so... If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And it's, uh, as Einstein says, it's a definition of insanity if you just keep doing the same things but expect a different result. Something has to change. And one of the things um, that um, I've been talking for quite some time and people have been talking about really um, is, is, is two questions that every single person on this planet gets to answer sooner or later. One, who is God? If you answer that in the positive, then you begin to understand who you are, which is the second question. First question is, who is God? The second question is, who am I? What's my identity? And I've come to understand that nearly almost everything in the, in the kingdom of God always comes back to identity, understanding who I am. And so this morning I wanted to talk to you about the fact that a son is always the answer. There was this elderly couple um, who weren't very wealthy. Um, they'd never... They were always entering competitions to try and win something because they just didn't have the money to, to really buy anything, uh, any, anything much, any extras. And uh, one day, um, they won a cruise on a ship. First time they won anything. So they got their goods together, their, 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 gear, their clothes and so forth together. They went to um, a store and they brought some cheese and crackers um, to eat while they're uh, on, the, on, the, on the boat. And so they arrived at the boat. They were really welcomed as honored guests and they were shown to the cabin. And they were just absolutely amazed at the luxury and, and the whole, um, you know, whole ship, which had just been something that not ever had um, experience. And, so they enjoyed the first day, and it came for the evening meal, which was a banquet, and so they went to their room. And they went to the room and got their cheese and crackers out and started to eat the, the cheese and crackers uh, in their room while all the rest of the passengers uh, enjoyed the banquet. Uh, the captain noticed that they weren't there, and, uh, but just thought, well, maybe they're just not feeling well or tired or something. Second night, um, during the day, they did all sorts of things, enjoyed their time, came to the night, there was a banquet on, they went to their room, and they ate cheese and crackers that they brought again. 
the captain noticed that they weren't there, but again, thought they just might have been tired out. Third day, they enjoyed their day. It came for the evening, for the, uh, the evening banquet, and uh, they went to their room again and ate cheese and crackers. Now, the captain noticed again that they're not there, so he goes to the cabin and knocks on the door, and they open up the door, and they see the captain, and, and they're a little, uh, uh, you know, just surprised. And the captain said, I've just come to see if you're okay. Oh, yes, captain, we're fine. He said, I, I haven't seen you at the banquet in the last three nights. Um, I said, well, we're a little ashamed to tell you. He said, Why? He said, um, we, we just, we don't have very much money. And uh, we can't, couldn't afford uh, to pay for the banquet. And the captain looked at them. He said, you don't understand? What, captain? You don't understand that it's all included. It's all been paid for. See, they thought it was extra that they had to pay for it, that it's all been paid for. And that's very much like the life that we live, it's all been paid for. All heaven is waiting is for you to partake. See, we could set out a, um, a banqueting table all the way down the front here, and we could have some really nice food. We could take authority over the calories, <laughs> as if that'll work. It hasn't yet. <laughs> and we could have, you know, turkey and, and brisket and um, um, we could have uh, all sorts of different meats, chicken. We could have, uh, we could have some Australian things on there too. And we could have desserts, you know, like um, pumpkin pie. I tasted my first pumpkin pie the other day. It's really nice. Anyway. I don't know how you can make pumpkin a sweet, but you do it. So I'm going with it. Because um, you see, we, we have a thing. You have a thing here um, with um, separation, or they, they talk about separation between uh, church and state, right? They talk a lot about that. In Australia, we have a separation between sweet and savory. <laughs> but you just don't put them together. So you don't put bacon with pancakes and... You know, like, anyway, we're crazy, aren't we? So there's this table just here, and it's full of food, right? And we're all sitting in the room. We can smell the food. We can see the food. We can be just so getting more and more hungry, and the food, that is. But we can be in the same room as this banqueting table of food, and we can starve to death. Why? Because we didn't partake. We didn't take what was available um, for us. I want to say to you this morning that the answer to all of the world's problem, in specifically in the separation between it and God, the answer that God had for it was not another program, wasn't just another idea or another set of rules, but his answer was a son. He sent Jesus to this world to live amongst us, 
to show us what the normal Christian life looked like. And Jesus was the answer to our problems. It was a son, not a program, not something else. The answer was a son. And I want to say to you today, it still is the answer. It still is the answer. The answer to to things is a son. And the answer is Jesus, yes, and the answer is you. Because you are a son. Now, of course, ladies, I please, I, I hope you understand that I'm not talking about gender. I'm talking about sonship here this morning. And it's not about men or women, it's about a position. Okay? So you ladies get to be a son, and us men get to be a bride. So the answer is always a son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in Hebrews chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 3 to 6, it says this, for, for one that has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in, his, in all his house as a servant. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence, it was a son. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17 says this, For as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the, spirit, receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The answer is always a son. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 19, I, I, I just I love the picture that this, that this brings. For the earnest expectation of creation, the earnest expectation. Like, this is not just normal expectation. This is expectation with hot sauce. Right? This is expectation that's earnest, like it's, it's turbocharged expectation. So all of creation has established in it an expectation. Now, what's, what's that expectation? Well, the expectation um, that it eagerly waits for is the revealing of the sons of God. So creation itself has built in it an expectation. And this earnest expectation, this expectation that's just beyond what normal expectation is, is, is for the revealing of the sons of God. It's looking for sons to become sons. It's looking for the revealing of the sons of God. Not the son of God, the sons of God. It's looking for you and I. Creation is looking for you and I to stand up as sons of God. Now, you can positionally know that and not live as a son. And not live as a son 
of God. Remember, creation is looking for you. I would say to you this this morning, only sons bring heaven to earth. Therefore, a son is always the answer. So the issue is about identity, understanding who you are. Can I ask you this morning, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Because the enemy continues to challenge it. Okay, so so Jesus, Jesus comes to John the Baptist, and he comes to the Jordan, and he comes to his cousin to baptize him, and they have a little bit of a discussion um, about whether who's worthy or who's not. Anyway, um, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus in the water. And as he's coming up out of the water, the heavens open. Which is really interesting because Isaiah talked about rend the heavens and come down. So he did. I've heard Bill Johnson say that the only closed heavens are between believers' left ear and right ear. Because God has already rend the heavens and come down. And so we're often waiting for it. Now, can one place be harder than the other? Yes. Atmosphere can be more difficult, but the heavens are open. So heavens are open, comes down, and, and it descends upon Jesus like a dove. Right? Yes? And then the Father says, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. This is my Son, who I am well pleased. Now it's really interesting, because Jesus has not done any of the miracles yet. He's not raised the dead. He's not done anything else yet. He's right at the beginning of his ministry. And the Father is saying, this is my son, and I'm really well pleased with him. So God is looking to say that. And and we've often... um, We've often waited for God to say something about what we do. I'm sure he likes to say those sorts of things and likes to remind us about how pleased he is, but predominantly he's pleased that you are his child, that you are his daughter. He's pleased. He's pleased full stop. I was talking to him on the, uh, uh, just in a couple of hours from Casper, we drove down this morning, and I really felt that God was saying that he's happy, happy, happy. He's, not, he's in a good mood. Really. That he's happy. And so Jesus comes up out of the waters, and, and after he's, he's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. You know, for a long time, we've often thought well, the wilderness was, was a bad place to go to. And maybe it is if you've done something um, that sort of separated you from God, put you away from God, but often going into the wilderness um, is the plan of God. It's where he wants to do uh, his great work. And so he goes, takes Jesus, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and the very first thing that the devil says to him, if you are the Son of God, if you are, the Son of God. I mean, God has just said, this is my son. 
in whom I'm well pleased. And the enemy questions God himself speaking and declaring. This so often happens. You get a prophetic word and the next voice you're going to hear is, is that really God? Is that really going to happen? You make a decision. You hear something on a Sunday morning and you decide, I am going to take hold of what was just shared and I am going to walk in it. And the next voice you're going to get was, is that really how it's meant to be? Is that the right interpretation? The enemy is still questioning the Word of God and the voice of God. And I often call it opportunity aversion. Because you start to step in an opportunity and, and, you, and you begin to get cold feet. You begin to say, well, maybe God didn't say it quite like that. Notice the enemy loves to get in at that particular point of time and question the Word of God. And that's what he did for Jesus. He questioned, says, if you are the Son of God, then prove it. Turn these rocks into bread. So he's quest- he questions identity. We have a crime in this world, um, in, in lots of com- countries, and it's called identity theft. Okay? So it happens in the natural realm where people are stealing people's identity and then taking out loans and racking up debt and all those sorts of things. It's been going on far longer than that. It's the enemy trying to steal people's identity. Convince them that they're not really this, that they're something else. We all start at life separated from God. Yeah? We all had to come to a place where we would receive Him, acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and therefore God as our Father. Yeah? So we've all had experiences of separation from our Heavenly Father. So we would often talk about... um, that being an orphan spirit. And so an orphan spirit or an orphan attitude or mindset is different than that of a son. Right? Yeah? So there are parts of an orphanness that impact each of us more than we realize. And so I wanted just to talk about seven of those just right now. The difference between an orphan spirit and a son. Maybe you, or maybe you identify with some of this. And if you do, then that's a good opportunity for you to say, God, I'm going to put that off and I'm going to take that which is the Son. An orphan spirit. Difference between an orphan spirit and a son. An orphan is performance-based relationships. It's about performing. It's about, you know, um, doing well in order to get relationships. They're more functional relationships and it's a duty and, uh, and a burden rather than as a son who delights to serve. An orphan is trying to get affection and trying to get acceptance by what they do. A son accepts, he's, he's a son. I'm a son. Yeah? You see, um, I go into my parents' house and um, um, my my. My mother uh, passed away a, a few months ago, but um, I, I still go and visit my dad. Um, and I just, I just walk into the house, their house, and um, 
you know, ask how he's doing. And I go and put the kettle on and I make myself a cup of tea. Um, I go through his cupboards and find what he's got to eat. When mum was alive, she used to cook these um, chocolate chip, um, you, you call them cookies, we call them biscuits. Uh, but anyway, cookies. Um, she used to make this real amazing um, apricot um, loaf. And I know where she used to hide it. And I knew where she hid the kid candy. And I'd look in the fridge and see what's in the fridge and go through the mail, <laughs> see what's going on. And, and my parents loved it. Here's their married son coming home to their place, eating my mother's cooking and telling her how good it is, better than what my wife cooked. Now, that's got me into trouble sometimes. Because <laughs> my mother loved to hear, my mother loved to hear her son being her son. And so I could go into there because I had a legal right as a son. Now, I could do the same behavior in one of your houses that you weren't inviting me to. And walk in. And go and make myself at home and go through your cupboards and eat what's there or what you've got ready for Thanksgiving or what else. And, uh, um, but I would be a very different type of class of person. I would be a burglar, a thief. <laughs> but I'm doing exactly the same behavior in my parents' house. What's the difference? The difference is uh, legal position. So I have a legal right as a son to partake um, of the household because I'm a son. And, and my mother would be absolutely, um, when she was alive, and my dad would just think I'm crazy if I went in there and, be, and behaved like someone else's son or begged them to give me something. They absolutely enjoy, I help myself, I make myself at home. And what I find really interesting is that my kids would say, Dad, what are you doing? You're at Nana's house. You're just taking her stuff and making yourself at home. I, I can't understand what problem is because they do that at our house. <laughs> when they come home, they just make themselves at home because they're part of the family. But an orphan, an orphan doesn't have that understanding, doesn't have the understanding of being a part of a family because they've been so not a part of a family. And so therefore, they are looking for performance. And so they, they, they feel loved at, at times and they don't feel loved because someone didn't smile at them or somebody didn't say, oh, it's so nice to see you. They feel rejected at, at times um, because they don't feel to be a part of the family. And it's an, it's an orphan spirit. It's an orphan mindset. Number two follows on from that is that an orphan is looking for approval from man. So you'll often hear an orphan saying, oh, did I do okay? Um, was, was, was that okay? Was, was, you know, did I please you, basically? They're looking for approval uh, from man, whereas a son... Um, knows that he is already approved of by the Father. He's not looking for approval. You know, he may want to know, 
how well he did so they can prove or whatever else. But he's not looking for approval uh, from God. He, he knows he's a son. Right? He knows he's a son. And, and that's what the father was trying to express to the older brother in the prodigal son story. Saying, you have already had this, your son. You have access to all of this. Number three, an orphan lives with the love of law rather than a son who uh, lives with the law of love. So orphans are, uh, are often quite legalistic people. They love the law, the rules. This is how it's done um, because it makes them feel uh, okay. It makes them feel safe. Um, when we have stick to the rules and to the laws and to the function of the way that thing is done. But you deviate from that and they can become um, very hostile uh, because they, they, they just feel insecure. Um, whereas a son uh, loves, the, uh, has the law of love, love. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Number four, um, uh, an orphan is trying to be holy by his own actions. Uh, guilt and shame increases as he fails. But a son walks in holiness of his father <coughs> and wants to behave in a righteous and holy manner because he doesn't want to harm the relationship. An orphan compares himself with others. He's into comparison and compares what they have with what he has. So comparison is a, is a pretty big thing for an orphan mindedness, an orphan spirit. A son understands he's accepted as who he is. We all have parts of comparison, don't we? Okay, so just let it go. Number six, orphan is, uh, is independent and self-reliant. And you could understand that, wouldn't you? That an orphan is quite independent and self-reliant because they've had to look after themselves. They haven't had anyone else looking after them. So an orphan has to, has to make it happen himself. He's, he's reliant upon himself to do it. Because if he doesn't, who else is going to do it? In, contra in contrast to a son who's lived in a family... Um, and um, is therefore learnt to be interdependent and submissive. And I don't mean submissive as in weak, but submissive as in, as in sharing the plans with the rest of the family to be able to find out what other people think so that there's wisdom that comes out of that. But an orphan doesn't know how to do that. An orphan's motive is personal achievement and gain with fear of failure. A son serves out of love in gratitude for unconditional love. Can I tell you this morning, one of the biggest breakthroughs for me in, in life um, has, because, has come because I began to understand what it is to be a son. 
And for some of you in here, your greatest breakthroughs will come as, your, as the revelation flows to you what it is to be a son or a daughter of God. But what I find really interesting is that the more that you understand about being a son of God and you walk in it, um, how arrogant you can seem to people who are still orphans or have an orphan mindset. <coughs> See, I, when I'm praying for people um, to be healed, for instance, and talk about healing, I don't beg God to heal them. Actually, don't pray for for him to heal them. I know he's the healer, but um, just like I would go to my parents' place and partake of that because I'm a son, I, I, I release healing. I release healing into their bodies. I would speak to whatever particular area. Now, I, I, I you know, I didn't always do that. It's just in the last few years that I began to do that because I understood. Well, if I'm a son. Um, then I'm, I'm going to release what my father wants to release in somebody's life. <coughs> and it's the same for prophetic words. You know, I, I've, I've learned that as a son, uh, that my father in heaven wants for his sons and daughters um, to be experiencing the gold and the treasure that's in them that's been so piled up with junk and stuff over life. And so, therefore, when I, when I speak prophetically over people, I'm bringing out the gold and the silver that is there. I'm not telling them what's wrong in their life. Um, and and that's how a, that, I believe that's how a son um, acts. So the answer, the answer is always a son. A son brings heaven to earth. And I think it's really cool that, that Jesus was telling us this is the will of God that what's in heaven would be on earth, that his plan is that earth would be heavenized. And in Ephesians, it tells us that we are seated in heavenly places. After Pentecost, we became the first generations to live in two places at once, on earth and in heaven. Now, for me, that makes sense because if the will of God is that he wants to, us to bring from heaven to earth, to heavenize earth, then we have to be in two places at once. Otherwise, how can we do it? Now, we know how to live on earth. What we're learning to do is how to access the things of God. And if you want um, all of the answers, I don't have them, but Fred does. Because I'm still learning how it is to access the things from heaven. Now, we have prophetic words, and we can, you can all operate prophetically. Not just here on a Sunday morning, but in your life. You can say something to somebody that God gives you that's going to encourage them, that's going to comfort them, that's actually going to uh, cause them to feel good about life. Do you realize that your best days are still ahead of you? Do you realize that your best days are still ahead of you? If you don't believe that, you're believing a lie. That's called hope. Now, in Romans um, chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you 
with all joy and peace so that you may believe that you can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope, we are meant to abound in hope. And so hope abounding means that you have enough for you, enough for your family, and stacks to give away. That's how the church is meant to live. It's meant to live out of that place of abundance. So he's saying, now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace, all joy and peace, so that you may believe that you can abound. Because you're meant to abound. You're designed to abound. You're designed not for lack. You are designed for abundance. And that's what happens when you start accessing heaven to bring to earth. But you have to believe it that you have access. You have to arise as a sun and shine and give God the glory. To arise as a sun. You have to understand that a sun is always the answer. You have to understand that, that a sun is always the answer. When you leave here today, you are an answer. When you leave here today, you are an answer. Jesus said it like this. He said, you are salt and light. Salt happens to things. If I take some salt and put it in the water, the water becomes salty. It's happened to something. There used to be these uh, stickers around a place that used to say stuff happens or other things happen. Okay, there should be stickers that say I happen. I happen to things. I happen to things. Let me finish with this. It is a positive note, but it starts off sounding a little bit negative. Um, uh, grumbling and complaining is the praise and worship of hell. Just thought I'd finish off with an ouch. <laughs> grumbling and complaining is the praise and worship of hell. If you don't believe me, have a look in Jude. Okay, grumbling and complaining is the praise and worship of hell. Now, um, it, it says in Psalms that God inhabits the praises of His people. So the principle is this, that God is attracted, heaven is attracted to your praise and worship, your thanksgiving, giving thanks. Heaven is attracted to it. It hears it. The angels hear it. The angels pick up the fragrance of that because there's a fragrance admitted. There's a fragrance admitted when you start to give thanks when you start to give thanks for God at work in your situations, in your family, it may not feel like it. But in Romans, it said God speaks of those things that aren't as if they are. Right? He's not speaking of that which is as it is. He speaks of those things that aren't as if they are. If you're, if you're looking for family members to be healed, if you're looking for family members to be saved, to come to know Christ, then start speaking as if it is, even though it isn't. Start giving thanks for it because you start attracting heaven to that. The opposite is grumbling and complaining attracts the enemy, attracts demons. They pick up the fragrance of it. In the Bible, uh, the, Satan is, rever is referred to as Beelzebub. Lord of the flies. Flies are attracted to things that are dying, decaying. Okay? 
that hell is attracted to grumbling and complaining. Okay? And, and we all do it. Grumble about the government, grumble about what's going, complaining about what somebody said or somebody didn't do or whatever else. And you are attracting something that you don't want to be in your life. Okay? Thanksgiving, thanksgiving, giving thanks attracts heaven. It attracts solutions. It attracts all those, those sorts of things. You know, the Holy Spirit, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. Yeah? The Comforter? You don't need the Holy Spirit as the Comforter if you are comfortable. You only need the Comforter when you're uncomfortable. Just a thought. I know um, you've moved from one building to this building. And um, you may be however long you're going to be here. Um, but can I just tell you that that last statement, I really feel like the Holy Spirit wants me just to emphasize. Okay? Uh, there's going to be some uncomfortableness. I don't mean it in a bad way. Um, and, and you just need to hear my words that when you're uncomfortable, the comforter will come and comfort you. Because God has designed you to at times be uncomfortable. The comfort zone is only a visiting place. It's a place you rest for a little while. It's not a place of habitation. The comfort zone is not a place of habitation. God wants to do some of his best work to you and through you when you're uncomfortable. So if I was you, I would look for places to be uncomfortable, ways to be uncomfortable. And you can do that simply by just changing your route that you always go to a workplace. You could try wearing something a little different than what you would normally wear. You could be like Fred and part your hair differently. A son is always the answer. The plan of God is that heaven would invade earth and that the earth that we live on would be heavenized. Sons get to bring heaven to earth. You have a legal right to access the things of heaven and bring it to earth. Your heavenly Father is incredibly blessed when you take hold of the things of heaven and bring it to earth. And the Holy Spirit, the comforter, is waiting for you to be a bit uncomfortable so that he can comfort you. It's not his only name, but it's one of, one of the things that he does the best. Let's pray. Father, you know exactly where you're taking this people. You know exactly what's the next step. You know exactly what's the next era. You know exactly what's the next thing for them. And uh, Father, I pray right now that the revelation of sonship, the understanding of sonship, and the freshness of it, the understanding of it, would be so uh, strongly 
uh, released uh, more and more in this place, um, that people would have dreams of it. They would have understanding of it. They would see it clearer and clearer as they read the Word and, and understand it. That indeed this house would be so full, not only of sons um, by uh, position, but sons in reality. And so, Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus for your work taking place. Uh, Father, uh, in people's hearts and lives and minds and spirits right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to take that word that I declared earlier. Declare it again over every person, over this congregation, over this church, that the tide has changed. Our Father, that things that haven't worked will begin to work. Things that haven't made sense will begin to make sense. Our Father God, prayers that have been sown uh, and, and seeds that have been sown for many years will begin to sprout and actually will begin to start to bring forth a harvest. <coughs> I declare that the tide has changed, that it's now instead of going out, it's coming in. The tide has changed. Amen. So can we just uh, say we re receive that word together? We receive that word, the tide has turned. Thank you, Lord. We, we receive that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we, we receive... Uh, the encouragement, we receive the strengthening in our spirits that have been released today, and Lord, we, we bless Mark. We thank you for bringing him here. We bless him. We, we bless Fred and Hope Church and Casper. Uh, we thank you that there are other churches in this state that we, we stand together with for your purposes in this state. So, Lord, we, we receive that word, too, for Wyoming on behalf of Cheyenne. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>